For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 82, and while there's 82 games in the NBA regular season, this episode will be our last podcast of the 48 Minutes 2023 season, as our next show will be coming to you in 2024. Before we get to our opening tip, though, the only people that don't get time off this time of year are pro athletes and us at Bet Online. With NFL, bowl season, and NBA in full swing over the holidays, Bet Online isn't taking a second off to make sure you have all the up to the second odds, news, and info. Bet Online has all your sports wagering info you need with both desktop and mobile access. Head to the website today to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Now, with opening tip, Bruce, I'll let you, let you start us off. All right, guys. Thanks. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Um, my favorite thing from 2023, the calendar year, involves this show, a special guest, and the fallout from their appearance. On September 12th, our 48 Minutes episode with Ross's friend Giannis Antetokounmpo created a literal earthquake in the NBA. We asked him if he expected to play his entire career in Milwaukee, and he said, yes, but. <laughs> the but was a challenge to Bucks management that if they didn't make moves to beef up the supporting cast, he might have to look for a better chance to win somewhere else. Two weeks later, the Bucks acquired future Hall of Famer Damian Lillard from Portland in a three-team trade involving the Phoenix Suns and the deal required the Bucks to part with Drew Holiday, whom Giannis called his best teammate ever. When Holiday went to the rebuilding Blazers, my first thought as a Celtics fan was, we need to find a way to get him. A few days later, Holiday was headed to Boston for last year's sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams III, and two draft picks. The end result of Giannis's appearance on 48 Minutes was nothing short of the transformation of three NBA franchises. The Bucks are quite happy with Dame and their 22 and 8 record. The Celtics are very happy with Drew and their 23 and 6 record. Boston has the look of a championship team and while the Blazers are scuffling near the bottom of the West, their future looks bright with some good young players and future draft assets. Although their GM Joe Cronin has been getting roasted the last couple of days cuz Jaime Hawkes Jr could have been a Blazer, but I digress. They can all, the Blazers, the Bucks and the Celtics can all thank my co-host, Russ Geiger, and his buddy Giannis for starting this whole chain of events right here on 48 Minutes. Well, I appreciate that, Bruce. And you know what? Uh, we definitely thank Giannis for that. And, uh, you know, I, I won't be expecting my, my Celtics championship hat, though, if that becomes the case in Boston this year. You know, I, I don't think we'll, we'll be getting one of those in the mail, but I'm all right with that as well. So, uh, World B, what do you have for opening tip? Oh, thank you, Ross. Kevin Durant is on pace to average 30 points per game for the first time in 10 years. 
Devin Booker is nearing his career high in scoring and is almost a cinch to finish with a career high in assists. But as the Suns continue to flounder around 500, and with the window to a championship about the size of a nickel, it is becoming more and more apparent that Phoenix is losing the gamble they made when they traded Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and a truckload of first-round picks to the Nets to acquire the former MVP. We are nearly 11 months removed from that mega deal, one that also involved the Bucks and Pacers, that was supposed to instantly revive the Suns and make them championship contenders and was supposed to be the beginning of a downward spiral to the Nets franchise that would take years to rebuild. But now the two teams enter Tuesday with identical 14 and 15 records. And there were grumblings about how one team superstar possibly wanting out of his current situation. I won't tell you which team I'm referring to, but I can tell you it isn't the Nets. There may be time for Phoenix to yeah, get this right. Oh. But if Bradley Beal can get healthy... And if Durant can stay healthy, no longer a given at his age, the trade that was supposed to be setting the Nets franchise back for years may actually have the same impact on the Suns. Yeah, will be. It's definitely been an interesting start in Phoenix, and uh, I actually prepared something with Phoenix involved for my opening tip. So uh, let's get to that before the last game of the Christmas Day schedule. Tipped off in Phoenix on Monday night. Suns guard Damian Lee addressed the home crowd, wishing them a happy holidays and also urged Suns fans to, quote, stick with us. While I'm all for the message and and believe that the Suns fans should absolutely not give up hope just yet, why on earth did the Suns have a role player who's out for the season due to ongoing uh, undergoing surgery on his right meniscus deliver that message? In my eyes, it was a missed opportunity from from the Suns for Kevin Durant or Devin Booker to speak up and calm the concerns of the Suns fan base. Instead, it felt forced and unconvincing coming from Damian Lee. And it didn't help that the Suns went on to lose on their home court that night while Luka Doncic, a player they passed over with the number one overall pick in 2018, had his sixth career 50-point game and became the fourth player ever to score 50-plus points on Christmas while also reaching... 10,000 career points, becoming the fastest among active players to do so. Simply put, Suns fans got coal for Christmas from their team this year. And uh, it's been an interesting start. I'm sure we'll talk about the Suns a little bit later. But let's focus a little bit more so on the positive side of the league here in our first quarter and talk about the Boston Celtics as they continue to roll out west, finishing things off with a 3-1 and record on their holiday road trip. Their only loss came in a game against the Golden State Warriors at the start of their trip in which they played without Kristaps Porzingis and Boston then responded with very impressive wins over the Kings on a second night of a back-to-back without both Jason Tatum and Al Horford put a butt whooping on the red hot LA Clippers without Porzingis and then finally closed things off on Christmas Day defeating LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers in their only game on the trip with their full core so Bruce I know you're a happy man about right now but what can you tell us about your team I mean that was a heck of a road trip they just look different this year. With those two new guys, Porzingis and Holiday, they're just a more mature and patient team. I mean, Kristaps Porzingis is a low-post beast, as he showed on Monday against the Lakers. He had his way. And a 7-3 rim protector. Two things they lacked before, okay? Drew Holiday, as we've discussed many times, is a steady veteran, does all the little things. 
I like to call Holiday and his backcourt mate, uh, Derek White, the wardens because they lock people up. Watch how their ball pressure on the perimeter makes it tough for opponents to get into their half-carat offense without using extra seconds, which frequently results in, you know, rushed poor shots. And oh, by the way, both of them are deadly from three-point range, both around 42%. Put those three guys with the two Js and the sixth starter, Al Horford, because they have a starting six, not a starting five. (laughs) They just, you know... They just really – they do need a little bit of help on the bench, I believe, if they want to take this all the way to the to the championship. But boy, oh boy, I mean, it's hard to find much fault with what a 23-6 and six team like them has, has done so far. Yeah, they've simply been rolling with the punches all year long with guys taking uh, turns out of the rotation due to injury or rest concerns in Horford's case. But uh, World B, just what, what are your reactions to this team as they continue to show that they're legit in the East? I mean, yeah, I want to focus for a second on those back-to-back wins over the Kings and, and Clippers. I mean, they they absolutely, their offense, I know, we're, you know, the, the Kings are not uh, going to, you know, remind anybody of the glory days of, of the Pistons defense in the 80s or anything. And, you know, the Clippers are a pretty darn good defensive team. They put 144 points on both, you know, at least 144 on both teams. They're the eighth team in the history of this league to do that in consecutive games. Now, it should be said that uh, it's happened three times already this year. I think the Hawks have done it, and I, I think the Clippers have done it. You know, so it's not exactly it, – it's becoming less uh, historic as the season goes on. But it's still an amazing accomplishment. They had an offensive efficiency of 145 in each of those games. 151.6, the highest in the NBA this season – Came in that Kings game. It's unbelievable what they did. They not turn, they had thirty five turnovers in four games. That's unbelievable for that kind of efficiency. They didn't exactly shoot the lights out as you would expect a team that was that great, but they didn't turn the ball over. It's in, it's unbelievable what they're doing right now on offense. And here, by the way, last season we talk we're just talking about their offense. Last season they're the only team in the league to be top five in offensive and defensive efficiency. So this season, they're top five in offensive and defensive efficiency. Them and the 76ers are the only teams right now. So th- there's no real difference between last year and this year uh, numbers-wise. I mean, obviously, personnel, it's a little bit different. But they're looking, like Bruce said, they're looking like the best team in the NBA. And I would caution, the only thing I would caution about, we had this similar conversation about a year ago because their offensive efficiency last year was they were blown away to historic mark. They were going to be historic. And eventually it went back to earth and they still were obviously a great team, but the way they're playing right now, who's going to stop them? You know, Ross, one of the things that I've really noticed, and I, I was having some exchanges with some of my Celtics uh, buddies on Twitter about this. When you look at how patient they are as the shot clock starts running down last year, when the shot clock got down to like six, five, four seconds, Whoever had the ball in their hands would just take some jack jack up some shot, frequently a very bad three-point attempt, because they didn't want to have a shot clock violation. But now if you watch them, when the shot clock gets down to five and four, they're making an extra pass with like four or three seconds left on the shot clock. And a lot of times they're just getting a wide open shot. Guys are cutting along the baseline for layups. 
it's really, it's like this well-oiled machine. And I think Holiday is the main reason because he's like this calming influence. I mean, he, you know, if he's got his ball and the ball in his hands late in the shot clock, he's either going to get off a good shot or he's going to make one of those kind of extra passes for an easy bucket, Ross. And that's one of the big changes I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, this team is playing with a lot of poise right now. And you're right, Bruce. You watch this team late in the shot clock. Um, you know, I think they catch teams off guard because I would say probably 90% of the league, when the shot clock gets under five, it becomes an ISO one-on-one situation with a shot being jacked up, as you alluded to. But this team, they're they're making an extra cut. They're doing a, an extra step here to, to make an extra pass and getting a more wide-open shot. And, you know, you mentioned Holiday. A guy I want to talk about, too, is Derek White. I think one of the biggest things that separates this Celtics team from the rest of the league is they have two backcourt guards that are two-way players. Derek White is arguably an all-star. He's probably not going to make it due to popularity concerns, but like Derek White, in my my eyes, is an all-star right now. Tell me, what can't Derek White do? He's averaging over 16 points a game on nearly 50% shooting from the field, over over 42% from behind the arc, as you uh, had stated earlier there, Bruce. Nearly four boards a game, over five assists a game, and wait, there's more. Over one steal and one block per game. I mean, that's one of the best all-around stat lines you can find, especially at a guard position. I mean, Derek White has really stepped up of his game this year. And then you factor in Drew Holiday and what we know about him already. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing with this Celtics team is they have two two guards that play on both ends of the floor. You know, everybody wants to – and World B did a great job sort of detailing all of their great offensive numbers. But those two guys, I mean – they they don't let you get into the paint. And if somebody does manage to get by him, there's Porzingis waiting for him, you know, and, yep. and also Jason Tatum. White is probably the best shot-blocking guard in the entire NBA. He gets so many guys from behind where they don't even see him coming. Uh, and Holiday is great, you know, coming from behind guys too, poking the ball away, causing turnovers. So, yeah, as great as their offense has been, they're, they, they are where they are because of their defense. Yep. And you look at a team like Milwaukee, right? Probably the uh, contender in the East with the Celtics. They got a guy like Lillard now, Hall of Fame scorer, Hall Hall of Fame player, still putting up some big numbers this year, but his downfall is defense. Well, the Celtics have two guards that don't have that downfall. They're efficient on offense, and they're tough as they come on defense. And I think that's really going to kind of help the Boston Celtics come playoff time against some of those elite teams in the East. I'll tell you what, you ask Boston. You you give a, a silent poll right now. Who would you rather take? You know, if you could have gotten your hands on Damian Lillard right now or Drew Holiday, keeping them as is. And Holiday's shooting numbers are not what they were last year. Let's everybody, you know, I guarantee you they would keep everything the way it is right now and with good reason. They, as Bruce mentioned, these guys are playing like they've been around for 10 years together. They're playing like, they, like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been, you know, that long together. It's really, it's really impressive. You know, Tatum, I think, really has an excellent shot at MVP this year. Uh, even though his scoring's down by like three points a game, you know, that's down ten percent from last year. But his playmaking, his rebounding, they both are solid. They're about the same as they were before. But his defense, his shot selection, and his physical strength are much improved. You watch him now. When he decides to go to the hoop, he's, his handle is tightened up big time, and he can finish in traffic. He gets fouled. It doesn't matter. He goes up and scores, gets an and one. 
And Jalen Brown, I mean, you know, he was the big offseason story with the big $300 million contract. That guy is playing with force. He's become probably one of the most feared open court scorers in the league. When he gets ahead of steam, I mean, you know, you want to get out the way. He can still be turnover prone at times. He does still have to tighten that up. But he's really developed his left hand, and he finishes frequently with that left hand. And Brown, you know, when, when Tatum's not on the floor, Joe Mazzula from West Virginia University is a very, very lucky coach in that if Tatum's taken a rest, he's still got Jalen Brown out on the floor, yeah. you know, who can kind of carry the load. And if you watch a lot of Celtics games, you'll see that Brown and Porzingis definitely got a little thing going on. Uh, they, they've they got the old eye contact alley-oop thing working. Jalen's had a lot of assists to KP for alley-oop dunks. So um, really firing on all cylinders. As I said, the bench could still be a bit suspect, but you know what? You know, th- all right, so they're not going to be the 96 Bulls, but they yeah. might be good enough to win the championship. Yeah, no, they're a scary sight in Boston right now. But uh, moving on to our second quarter, another team out east that uh, is doing quite well at at this moment is the Miami Heat and their heat culture continuing to do heat things. They are seven and three in their last 10 games and currently riding a three game winning streak after their Christmas Day win over the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, yes, Joel Embiid was out. But so was Jimmy Butler. World B, I'll start with you. What are you seeing from this Miami Heat team? I'm seeing a team that, that's, you know, playing a lot better now that they're getting healthier. You know, you mentioned they didn't have Jimmy Butler for one night, but they're getting Tyler Hero back, and he's making dividends. They're getting Bam Adebayo back. He's making a difference. You know, they've got um, they've, they've got players getting healthy, and Butler sits out one night. It doesn't seem to matter. They're starting to score – you really want to see good offenses, really good offenses, get into that 120 points per 100 possession range on a consistent basis. Well, Miami's starting to do that. Their defense is a little uh, – it's not where you expect it to be uh, in general, but it, it's getting better. I mean, during this you know, three-game win streak, they're, they really shut down opponents. And now you know, they shutting down Orlando isn't the greatest accomplishment of all time. They're not going to hang a banner over that one these days uh, with their offense. Shutting down the Hawks isn't a bad idea, you know, bad thing. And the way they played against Philly uh, the other night is was pretty impressive to me, even without Joel MD. Like I said, they don't have Butler. They're getting people healthy, and the offense is starting to get better. And, I've, you know, you've heard me mention it throughout the season. You really want to do – you want to make a name for yourself. You want to climb up in the standings. Your offense has to be on their game. Why are the Orlando Magic just to shift gears for a quick second? Why are they struggling all of a sudden? Their offense is really hitting a nosedive. Their defense is great. Miami's defense will get to be Miami's defense. When you see their offense playing like this, you know you got, you got a real shot. Bruce? You know, when the Heat missed out on Damian Lillard, which everybody thought Damian Lillard was going to Miami during the offseason, it looked like this could have been an ugly year in Miami. They let Gabe Vincent leave as a free agent. And they traded Max Struess for a future second-round pick, you know, clearing the decks, right? Tyler Hero, who would have been traded in a Lillard deal, okay, might have come back with some hard feelings, right? But the team has actually played better ball, percentage-wise, than it did last season when they made the NBA Finals. As an organization... One of the keys to the Heat's success is their ability to, to develop players and put them in roles where they're going to succeed. The latest example is rookie Jaime Jaquez Jr., 
Triple J, if you follow him on Instagram. He was the 18th overall pick out of UCLA in June. And while he probably is not going to win Rookie of the Year, he's played every game, he's started seven, and he's averaging just under 14 points a game. And I would say that after Victor Wenbanyama and Chet Holmgren, he and Brandon Miller are neck and neck for like the third best rookie in the league this season. Yeah, Jaime Hawkins Jr. had the uh, his career game on Christmas Day just on Monday night. He dropped 20, uh, 31 points in 39 minutes of play. And I think the most impressive part to me was he didn't commit a turnover in those 39 minutes and was aggressive offensively. So great to see that. And then I want to get your thoughts on this real quick. But when it comes to one of their team leaders in Bam Adebayo, I look at him as kind of the heart and soul of this team on both ends, at least when it comes to the regular season. And obviously there's a difference come playoff time, but I mean, this guy is leading their team in points, rebounds, steals, and blocks. And defensively, he's just a nightmare for opposing offenses because he's a tough one to crack being so versatile and so comfortable defending out on the perimeter. So with Bam, I just think with him back healthy, it's only going to help him continue to climb up the standings. And uh, I kind of see him as more the regular season team leader. And then come playoff time is when Jimmy Butler goes, all right, I'll, I'll come help you out and, and kind of step up as a star. What do you guys think of that, Bruce? Well, everything you said is true. And one thing you didn't mention that he is outstanding at, he is a great screen setter. I mean, yes. look at look at Duncan Robinson this season, all right? Last year, Duncan Robinson was basically hardly even playing. He was probably averaging about 15, 16 minutes a game and scoring maybe five or six points. Well, this year, he's averaging 15 a game. He's shooting 45% from downtown, okay? Not the best in the league, but, you know, way up there. I mean, 45% is is a big number. Uh, you mentioned Bam. Hero has only played in 12 games, but he's scoring 24. And as uh, you guys mentioned, World B mentioned, he's going to be back soon. So, again, this team – they're always better than you think they're going to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's the heat culture. It's a real thing. I totally believe in it, and I have for a really long time. And I think, you know, the way they develop guys who, and, and, and again, put them in position. I mean, look, Pat Riley, you know, the general manager, Andy Ellisberg, I mean, Eric Spolstra, just great management team in Miami. Uh, and um, always more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, and one quick note on Hero real quick. Through four games played in the month of December, because as you alluded to, uh, Bruce, he's only played 12 games. But in the month of December, he's averaging 26 points a night on 48% shooting from the floor, nearly 46% from downtown. So he's just been super super efficient helping out with Miami's scoring load. And that's just another thing. The way they move the ball, how efficient efficiently this team plays, I mean, they just kind of catch you by surprise uh, – on a nightly basis, almost it seems like with some of these guys just do it. You can't even like, I, I can't even describe it. They just like always surprises and someone's showing up. Duncan Robinson will have a 20 point game. Tyler Hero is now averaging 26 points a night. I mean, where's this coming from? Will be? Yeah. Uh, I totally believe in what you guys have said about the culture. It's, it's very few teams have it. Um, but, and they're one of them. And, you know, the proof is in the success they've had in the playoffs over the last few years. You know, you mentioned uh, Bam. You're talking about a guy who's been all defense second team for four years. 
And now, and he's improved his scoring average every year he's been in the league. Every year it's gotten a little bit better, including this season. So you're talking about obviously one of the most complete players in this sport who doesn't get quite the recognition that he should, even though he's a two-time all-star, probably because he's not the prototypical center. He's not Joel Embiid's size. He's not Giannis' size. He's, he's just, he looks like a power forward playing, almost playing out of position. And yet he's just dominates at both ends. Like you say, one thing I will caution about the Miami heat. um, It's one of the things that's problem with the, Phoenix Suns, they are a terrible fourth quarter team so far. Their numbers are just getting outscored by, I think, 11 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. I mean, only the Suns are worse. That's got to change if they, honestly, it's got to change if they want to really be contenders to overtake the Celtics and the the um, uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Well, Here's kind of an interesting stat about their offense, okay? if if you Because if you look at their team stats, right, there's nothing that really stands out other than their three-point shooting percentage leads the league, okay, 39.5%. But they take – they're only 19th in three-point attempts. So they're really good at making them, but they should maybe think about taking a few more of them, and they might be able to you know, put a few more points on the board. But one thing this team is really good at is winning close games. They're 8-4 and four in games decided by six points or fewer. They're an excellent free throw shooting team, always have been, 83%. And they do a really nice job controlling the pace and reducing the number of possessions. So they get you down to their kind of playing it in second gear type of speed. They're not going to be running like the Kings or the Celtics. But they're always a well-coached team, and they're very solid on the road so far, nine and six. By the way, real quick before we – I know we're going to move on here. You mentioned, Bruce, their three-point shooting. One of the reasons they were where they were when the playoffs began last year, they were bottom five in three-point shooting. And then what happened during the playoffs when they made a run to the finals? They were the best shooting team from three-point range, without question. Now, why are they having a great season so far? They're number one in three-point shooting. You're exactly right. That's uh, that's a big key that should not be overlooked about this as far as how this team goes in terms of their success. Good points there will be. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. Let's discuss the in-season tournament fallouts. And that has to do with the finalists in the Indiana Pacers and Los Angeles Lakers, both struggling after their Vegas trip with both teams sharing identical record after Vegas at just two and six. So not the start you've been looking for. Let's focus in on the Indiana Pacers to start here, Bruce. All I'm going to say is that the game balls have not been friendly to the Pacers ever since the incident in Milwaukee. Well, see that they got some bad (laughs) karma there. And uh, as Rashid Wallace used to say, the ball don't lie. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but here's the problem with Indiana before the tournament during the tournament after the tournament they give up a boatload of points 
I mean, they were already 29th in the league in points allowed. Only the brutal Washington Wizards give up more points per game. But since the tournament ended in the in the eight games that they've played since the end of the tournament, they're allowing 128 points a game, which is worse than what the Wizards are averaging. So, you know, I know that they play at a faster pace and it's more possessions and I get all that. But still, you've got to put the ball in the bucket and giving up 128 points over these eight games. I mean, the only two teams they've beaten were Detroit and Charlotte since the tournament. Every other game they've lost. Now, we'll be one of the things I thought about and had discussed with some of my uh, friends who are Pacers fans is uh, once that game ball incident occurred and everything's, you know, went to the locker room and there was a shouting match in the locker room. I got the thinking here, and I was like, well, Jay Crowder's back there. Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez are back there. The Nasus is back there. Do you think maybe the lack of defense has to do with the Pacers not having any tough guys? Now, I know they just signed James Johnson to kind of bring some muscle off the end of that bench, but, like, come on now. We're not going to really take him as a threat for uh, any type of impact on the court. But seriously, I mean, they're – their toughest guy, in my opinion, is probably TJ McConnell, and that's no disrespect to TJ, but like, come on, they just—they don't—they're—they're they're a pretty soft team. Halliburton's pretty soft. Miles Turner's a pretty soft center. I mean, do you think anything with their defensive struggles has to do with the toughness or lack of? Uh, I think, I mean, it, there's a difference between toughness, like Charles Oakley and Nick's '90s tough, and what we're talking about, what qualifies as tough uh, these days. I, you absolutely are right. You cannot play the way they play in the middle and be tough. You can't give up the points they give up and be tough. I mean, think about where they where they are in defensive efficiency. They're twenty eighth entering Tuesday in defensive efficiency. Look at the teams. Here are the teams' records that are twenty fourth and thirtieth, along with the Pacers. You got the Spurs are four and twenty four. You got the Pistons two and twenty seven. The Hawks are twelve and seventeen. The Hornets are seven and twenty, and the Wizards are five and twenty-three. These are the teams you rank down with defensively. There's absolutely, positively, no way this team is getting anywhere. Never mind in the playoffs. Let's get to the playoffs if they can't improve their defense. If that means getting tougher, if that means pulling a Kevin McHale on Kurt Rambis back in '84, Bruce remembers. Um, I was there. You, I was at you that game. Do it. <laughs> then you got to do – I mean, obviously you do something like that today, you're gone for the rest of the year in this in this era. I get it. And I'm not suggesting they do. But you're absolutely right. Something's got to happen with this team in terms of getting tough defensively. There's no excuse to be down – for a team that talented, to be down with the likes of those teams that I mentioned defensively and with those records. It's absolutely inexcusable for the Pacers. You know, if Rick Patino were here right now, he'd say something like this. Antonio Davis isn't walking through that door. Yeah. Dale Davis isn't walking through that door. So absolutely, Bruce, a lot along those lines. I got a question for you, and I know this is a rookie you were high on coming into the season. Do you find it strange we haven't seen any Jarese Walker minutes yet? He's been down in the uh, G League, was just playing in the Showcase in Orlando, but with their kind of struggles here recently, and I know you're friends with Rick Carlisle. Are you a little shocked he hasn't gotten an opportunity to show what he can do? 
You know, it's funny, you know, we, we were, we were talking all about Jarris Walker. He's like 6'8", 240. I mean, he's a, he's a mountain of a dude. Um, yeah. Because they got off to such a good start, you know, maybe Rick was feeling like, okay, you know, we got a thing going now. So if they kind of stumble into the all-star break and, you know, they're below 500 as, you know, which they're perilously close to it now, um, maybe that'll be a chance for him to, you know, to give Jarris Walker, you know, some, some run in the second half. But yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking for toughness, there's a guy who's, you know, he's only like 20 years old. Right. But I think, you know, he's got some beef. Yeah. By the way, you mentioned, you know, we're talking about toughness or whatever. They're dead last in points allowed per in the paint per game. They give up 62 points a game in the paint. How is that possible? How can you possibly expect to win if you can't defend any better than that in the paint? That's unbelievable how they – it's a credit to their offense, which, by the way, it's just middle of the pack now since they come back from the Vegas thing. They're only about average in the league since they came back from Vegas. So if you you can't – if your offense can't score at will like they have been, you have no shot. And they got to improve something. It's pretty clear their defense is not getting better anytime soon, so they better pick up their offense to the elite level it used to be. They've had several games this year where they've given up 140 or more points. They gave up like 155 to the Celtics or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, they have these god-awful nights where just like they're not guarding anybody. Yeah, it's They've given up 150 points or more three times this year. Wow. Three times. Wow. How do you win? You can't win that way. You you just can't do it. There are teams that will go a decade and not give up 150 points three times. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. I mean, for real. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an incredible stat there. Well done, World B. Now, shifting out west to the Lakers. Uh, obviously, they their most recent loss came against Bruce's Boston Celtics. Um, this looks like a team looking to kind of shake things up. Uh, we, we saw some more of that shakeup in the starting lineup uh, the other night with D'Angelo Russell now coming off the bench. Um, as much as I gave Russell a lot of praise entering the season and to the start of the season, he's been uh, very shaky here recently. Lots of inefficient games from the field, turning the ball over. And uh, Bruce, you got the last look at this team playing against your Celtics. I mean, it seems as though the, the Lakers were getting some decent looks. They just weren't knocking them down. Uh, do you think they're fatigued from this tournament? Or uh, what, do you, what do you see their issue being? I mean – I don't really see them as a particularly deep team. I mean, you know, they're they're pretty good in their first six guys, but after that, it drops off considerably. Um, And he's messed around with the starting lineup, as you mentioned. Russell out, Jared Vanderbilt in. Yesterday, I mean, they were down by 18 points practically before anyone even took their warm-ups off. I mean, they, they just allowed Boston to run out on them. Again, they clawed their way back in, and Anthony Davis ended up having a really nice game, and Torian Prince was making threes until he started missing everyone that he took in the, you know, towards the end of the game. But yeah, I'm sure they are a little bit tired. I mean, look, LeBron is going to be 39 years old in a few days, right? He's, you know, he's still brilliant. I mean, look, he's still the best, but you know, he's 39 years old. AD doesn't really have a whole lot of support behind him. I mean, he's got to play a lot of minutes too. And, you know, again, the, they, to me, I think Darvin Ham is a very good coach, 
but he's searching for something and he's not really seeing any good options there. They, I heard some rumors, and I'm sure you heard the same ones, that they might be considering trying to do something to get Zach Levine. I don't really think that's going to help them if they get Zach Levine. Zach Levine hasn't played defense in 10 years in the NBA, and he just wants his numbers, and he'll be, what, the third option on that team. I don't think that's any kind of a solution. They need, they need help at the other end of the floor. Well, B, what's your thoughts on the Lake Show? Well, first things first, if you're hearing the rumors about Zach, Zach Levine going to the Lakers, it's probably coming from the Zach Levine camp, I would assume, <laughs> yeah. right off the bat, if you're looking for the source of that. Um, they're getting beat in the first quarter. They're getting themselves behind real quick, as Bruce mentioned the other night. It's not just the other night against the Celtics, which wasn't great. I mean, they were behind the Spurs, that game they got blown out, and by 20 in the first quarter. The next, you know, next game they get blown out by – they're down by eight to the Knicks after one. Then they get blown out by 11 in the first quarter against Chicago. And then you get, you know, a couple of games like, – they've lost like six straight first quarters, and a bunch of them aren't even close. It's it's really tough. And, you know, we, that one reason you're mixing up your starting lineup is like, geez, we don't have much of a bench. And I'm already let, telling his bench guys to try and make a comeback from 20 points down after a quarter – which they almost did, if you remember that Spurs game for a little bit. Um, but it's really tough. And, you know, this season falls on AD and LeBron. They put a lot of work and a lot of energy. They put up great numbers in the uh, uh, in the in-season tournament, especially, you know, AD in that championship had a monster game. So it, it's really uh, – I'm not surprised if they're acting like they're tired or whatever and, put you know, they put so much into it. Um you know, don't party with the champagne in the locker room after the win, I guess. is one way to conserve your energy, I suppose. But um, it's they're just really getting hammered in the first quarter, and it's, it's making it tough to come back. Yeah, I think one of the things that are really starting to hurt the Lakers, too, and it's now showing quite a bit, is uh, as much as we talk about Phoenix with Brad Beal, because Beal is an all-star caliber player, I mean, Gabe Vincent not being available this year and being one of their bigger signings this offseason has really hurt them as well. I mean, he, he like Beal, has not played much at all. And I, they really lack that second point guard to, to kind of help them out, especially when you're relying upon D'Angelo Russell, who's always kind of been a roller coaster ride. Obviously, he'll have his uh, flashes of stardom and then uh, flashes of head-scratching uh, decisions out there on the floor. So... Gabe Vincent is one of the things I, I kind of point to with this team. I mean, they don't have a lot of shooting. So Vincent was supposed to be the one supplying that and, and kind of bringing that leadership with this second unit. And with him out, I mean, there's just not much going on outside of Austin Reeves. I mean, he's like their more consistent scorer off that bench. And uh, everything else, you're kind of just crossing your fingers, hoping uh, someone can get hot. So um, things could be a lot better in, in Lakerland. And I think. We could be talking about this team for a play-in position yet again this season. Now, as we get into our fourth quarter, let's go ahead and take a peek into the West turmoil and potential teams in danger. Uh, obviously, the Lakers are certainly in that conversation. But, Bruce, I'll start with you and see uh, who you have in mind uh, when you look out West in the standings. Well, maybe we'll take these one at a time, and I'll and I'll start with uh, – okay. The Phoenix Suns. They're 14 and 15. Okay. Yeah. They're currently number 11 in the West. They're completely out of the postseason picture at the moment. 
three and seven in their last 10. They've lost three in a row. They have a losing record at home. Okay. Bradley Beal, as you've mentioned a few times, has been hurt. Kevin Durant is starting to rumble a little bit about being unhappy with the supporting cast. And the franchise gave up a lot to get Beal, which depleted their depth. So they got very little coming off of the bench. They're middle of the pack in most of the team stats. They look like a team that has two studs and a bunch of generic nobodies. Okay. And again, Grayson Allen has been decent, not to take anything away from him. But, you know, if you're counting on Grayson Allen to do more than be a role player, that's probably asking a lot. Beal is going to be evaluated next week. But, you know, time and Dave Wall talked about this last week. Time is getting short for him to develop chemistry with Kevin and Devin because while he'll be evaluated next week, his return date is still unknown. So I would say Phoenix, uh, you know, things aren't very sunny in Phoenix right now. No, no, it's not at all. World B, are you hitting the panic button on the Phoenix Suns? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. There's not, there's not a whole lot to like at the moment. I mean, there really isn't. Um, you don't like to hear the news you're hearing already. It doesn't put Kevin Durant in a good light at all if he's grumbling after he wanted out of Brooklyn about less than a year ago, and now he's complaining. Well, why do you think the depth is the way the, the way it is? Look at what they gave up. And you mentioned, you know, I mentioned at the top, you know, they gave up four first round picks. They've already, one of them already this past draft. They got three that they were given up. If they're not making the playoffs, those are suddenly decent picks. It's, this is a really danger zone for this franchise, I think. Um, that thing crumbles because they, they, you want to see everybody healthy. You want to see Bradley Beal healthy. Let's see how this team can be healthy. Um, but right now, there's not a whole lot to like. Yeah, and I think that the thing that really discourages me the most watching this team quite a bit out here in Phoenix is the body language. They kind of look defeated out there right now, and that's not what you want to see from a team with this type of talent on the roster. Now, granted, Beal's out, but when you still have Devin and Kevin, as you like to say, Bruce, I mean, that's a whole lot of talent. I mean, if everyone else just does their job and knocks down open shots, like you should be in decent shape for the regular season kind of get a playoff spot. And then hopefully at that point, Brad Beal's back and, you know, you guys could all be clicking, but um, I've mentioned it all year. I mentioned it when the trade went down. I still think the number one problem with this team, as good as Devin has been as a point guard is they don't have a traditional point guard. And I think that's coming back to haunt them because it really limits the options that Frank Vogel has within this offense. I mean, I'd like to see some floppy action with, uh, Kevin and Devin flying off both wings. How are teams going to defend that? And to have a point guard out there as a floor general rather than Booker having to initiate the office and pass it off and then try to get it back, it's just a lot of wasted effort to where if they had even just a uh, middle-of-the-road starting point guard, I think they'd be in much better shape having both Kevin and Devin on those wings racing up and down the floor. And uh, with that one, Next one I want to bring up is the Golden State Warriors. They're 15 and 15, currently finding themselves even out of a play-in spot that's currently held by Phoenix. And, uh, of course, with this team, they're still dealing with the Draymond Green suspension, obviously trying to get Jonathan Kaminga to find a groove here and uh, anyone that can help Steph Curry. Clay Thompson's been a little bit better late recently, but uh, one of the bummers for this team has been obviously the play of Andrew Wiggins, who actually got demoted to an off-the-bench role here as of recently. World B, you've kind of always been our numbers guy with the, the the defense with Golden State. I mean, what are you seeing from him this year? 
They're an average team. Their record is, you know, Bill Parcells, the great NFL coach, says you are what your record says you are. They're 15 yeah. and 15. They're an average team. Their offense is average. Their defense is average. There's just nothing spectacular about this team right now, which is really weird to say when you talk about the Warriors. You know, uh, we kind of thought when the season was starting that, well, you know, their home – remember last year their home and road difference defensively was was – astronomical it was great at home it was unbelievably per- terrible on the road well we thought at the beginning of the year well things have turned around it's not that way anymore and then you look at the standings and you look at their record over the last what five weeks or whatever they're eight now at home and i think they're like one and seven on the road i mean it's we're back to where they were they're just an average team right now that's, that's just you know there's no other way to say it even with the great players that they are steph i mean steph is magnificent he's worth the price of admission still but Clay Thompson basically a jump shooter at this point in his career. I mean, I mean, he wants a big payday at the end of the year, but you're going to pay a guy. He's taking 60% of his shots are from three, the highest of his career. He's never, as great as he is a shooter, he's never been that player where it's strictly threes. And now it's, he's become that. And their defense is just, they're average defensively at best. And when Draymond, we've mentioned, with Draymond on the court, they're worse. They're worse with him on the court than a lot. That's just... That boggles my mind to this day, but that's the way we are with this team. You know, I never will underestimate, as Rudy Tomjanovich said, the heart of a champion. Because really, the the you know, Steph Curry is a champion, Hall of Famer, all-time great. You know, Clay Thompson, probably a borderline Hall of Famer, has a shot. I mean, four championships. Um, but Steph turns 36 years old in March. I mean, we always think of Steph Curry as like this young stud, right? He's going to be 36 years old in March. Um, the Warriors, as we said, are, are you know, you know, scraping the bottom when it comes to the play-in possibilities. Clay has been better. I don't want to just repeat everything you guys said, but in his last seven, he's averaging more than 23. So that could be a sign of better days ahead. And they did have that magnificent comeback against the Celtics last week, where they were down 17 points in the second half and came back and won. I watched that whole game. And I could tell you, they, you know, they're a team. If they can sort of hang around into the fourth quarter of a game, they still got guys that can make plays on that team. So, but again, they need to pick it up real soon. They need to get Draymond back or they need to do something. Um, but right now, as World B said, they are the definition of a mediocre team. And by the way, real real quick. You know, I mentioned at the top how I said the window for the Suns winning the championship was about the size of a nickel. Well, you, you look, they got Chris Paul because their window is about the size of a dime in Warrior Land. I mean, it's just, this is why they got Chris Paul. This is why they got somebody that age to line up with these guys this age is because exactly that. Their window is tiny, and they're an average team in the at the very point where they can't afford to be average. This is not the season to be average. You're down the road, you're average when you get rid of these guys or when you move on from these guys. Right now, you can't be average, and that's... That's what, you know, for them, that stinks because this conference is not getting any easier as the season goes on. And, Bruce, is there another team out west that you have your eye on? Well, I want to give some love to the 15-12 and 12 Houston Rockets, in particular Alperin Shangoon. If this guy is not an all-star this season, it will be a horrible snub. I will be super disappointed. It'll kind of be like Harden last year only, maybe even a little bit worse. The Rockets are ahead of the – 
um, Suns. They're ahead of the Warriors. They're ahead of the Lakers. They're uh, currently, uh, what are they? Well, sh- let's let's go back to Shangoon for a minute. 20 and 9, more than five assists. 6'11", 240, light on his feet. Great passer, good handle, can use his left hand. He's 21 years old, okay? 21 years old. He's a baby, okay? Um, they added, you know, a new coach, Ime. They have Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks and Jeff Green that they added to that young core, and they're just really improving rapidly. Uh, it took them forever to win a road game this year, but they've now won three of their last six on the road, so that represents some progress. Uh, they're currently in eighth going into Tuesday's home game against the Pacers, and that's uh, that's a fairly close game. It's a seven-point game in the third quarter. But they're only a game and a half out of fourth. That's how tight it is in the West, right? They've won seven of 10, but they are really going to be tested over the next two weeks. They've got games against Phoenix, Philly, Minnesota, Milwaukee, and Miami. That's going to tell us a lot about whether this team is really going to have a legitimate chance at the play-in or the postseason. But so far, I got to, you know, got to give all credit to Houston. They're sort of like the anti- Suns and Warriors. They're a young team on the rise, looking really good. Great take there, Bruce. And uh, we'll be real quick here. The Grizzlies are now 3-0 and with Ja Morant. Ja Morant back out on the floor. Do they have enough time with Ja back to get into the playoff picture? Uh, I think they have enough time to get in the play-in picture. Um, I don't know about the playoff picture, but they're only five games out of yeah. the, the last play-in spot. And as you mentioned, three and zero since Morant. Their three best games offensively, and their most three most efficient games offensively have come since Morant came back. They're playing the way we've known them to play. Whatever John Morant is playing, the way we remember him playing, he can't hit an outside shot to save his keister, but nobody can stop him in the paint. It's yep. it's exactly it's like things never change when he came back. Uh, so it's tough. They got they got a really brutal stretch coming up here. Uh, this week, beginning, uh, you know, they're playing the Pelicans who are in the play and uh, playing picture. They're playing the Nuggets on the road. They're playing the Clippers on the road. They get the Kings. I mean, you know, they got a tough slate to, to go, but it's not impossible. And, you know, you got to beat these teams if you're going to make a run anyway. You're not going to play the Spurs every night. You got you to beat some of these teams. So let's see where they are in a week. Yeah, it's going to be another big test for them, as Bruce said, with the the Rockets. We'll have to keep an eye out on Memphis as well. With that, we'll go ahead and take a short break here, come back with you with best bets, and then get to our final thoughts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And we're back with my best bets. And let's take a quick look at the league's first basket leaders in the NBA so far this season. As many of you may well know, First basket bets are extremely risky, but they're a lot of fun and really profitable. So keep the following names in mind moving forward. These are our league leaders for first baskets made. 
Tied at 13 apiece, we have Houston's Alperin Sengun and Milwaukee's Giannis Adetokounmpo. Right behind them with 12 first baskets is Memphis's Jaron Jackson Jr. and Denver's Nikola Jokic. And tied for fifth place in the league with 11 first baskets is Clippers big man Ivica Zubak and Toronto's Scotty Barnes. So there are six solid names to keep in mind for your next best bet, first baskets. And with that, we'll get to our final thoughts here. And uh, World B, I'll start with you here tonight. Oh, thank you, Ross. Uh, my closing thought here this for this week will be pretty short. We're just a few weeks away from the halfway point in the season. And it's pretty clear at this point that the race for MVP is already becoming just a four-player field. With Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, uh, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, and Nikola Jokic. There are some outsiders currently looking in, Giannis, Jason Tatum, and for my money, Devin Booker. You've mentioned, heard me mention before, I'm I'm a big fan of his play this year. I think he deserves consideration. But usually the players that emerge as leading contenders by, by now will likely be your favorites down the stretch for this season. So uh, if you're going to start MVP debate, I think you probably begin with these four. Good take there. We'll, be, we'll have to keep an eye on that. I'm sure Bruce would have something to say with Jason Tatum being on – the outside of your list, but we'll save that for another day, Bruce. That was my pick as MVP in our preseason thing. Just that so is you know. true. That is true. Fair point. And my pick was Giannis. So you know, <laughs> yeah. some maybe between the three of us, we'll get one of them. Yeah. Anyway, so my closing comments: since this is the final show of calendar year 2023, my prediction will be for something happening in the year 2024. And it involves the aforementioned Draymond Green of the Warriors. I don't believe he's played his last game for the Dubs, but I do believe this will be his final season in Golden State. While he's going through counseling with the team, the league, and the Players Association, he's said to be cooperating and engaging fully. I think the Draymond rehab tour will make him palatable as a tradable asset and allow his future team to say they've acquired a changed man. And maybe it'll turn out to be true. When Draymond is at his best, he's a disruptor on defense, a playmaker on offense, a solid rebounder, and a reliable three-point shooter. But his absence from the lineup for half of the team's 30 games hasn't really resulted in a collapse. I mean, they're seven and eight with him and eight and seven without him. In other words, mediocre in both cases. His absence has opened up playing time for younger players like Jonathan Kuminga and rookie Brandon Pajemski and has given Coach Steve Kerr and Mike Dunleavy Jr., the general manager, kind of a little glimpse of what life after Draymond might look like. I don't think the organization will trade him before the deadline, but his contract has three years remaining at around $26 million per, and even at the age of 33 with his checkered past, there are going to be contending teams that will probably want him. But in spite of his many contributions to the Warriors dynasty since 2015, I think the Warriors have kind of had enough of his antics and are going to bid him farewell before the next season rolls around. Wow. Hot take there. We'll have to keep an eye out on that. I'm just not so sure how many teams out there would want that contract since he did get extended. But uh, no doubt about it, when he's on his game, he's one of the best in the business. As for my final thought, for those wondering if there's any hope that the Detroit Pistons will ever win another game this season, I'll say this. Hope is on the horizon. Jalen... Jalen Duran returns to the action tonight. He last played his uh, last game on December 6th. And while this was, of course, still during the Pistons' current 26-game, now 
game losing streak after their loss tonight here against the uh, Brooklyn Nets at home. Uh, that night on December 6th, Duran's last game was only the second game for Boyan Bogdanovich. With Duran back and finally healthy, Pistons starting rotation is back in full swing. I expect a win as soon as I said tonight, but that didn't happen. So at worst, I think their next win is coming within the next five games. And the reason being, Duran is one of the best young rebounding bigs in the NBA, which should lessen the amount of second shot opportunities for opponents. And offensively, Duran is a force around the rim as he typically tries to dunk everything in sight. So for as historically bad as the Pistons have been so far this season, I think we're about to see just how important Jalen Duran is to this team. So for Detroit fans out there, I'm rooting for you. A win is around the corner, and that is my prediction within the next five games. Bruce? Their next game is Thursday at Boston. So if they can manage to win that one, well, we'll see. Hey, I said the next five games, okay? Yeah. <laughs> a little win- you did. A little- you did. A little window there of opportunity, so hopefully they can cash in on that. But uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody. Happy New Year, y'all. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.